my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 508. <sighs> Thursday night football. We should talk about that first. By the way, I want to give a little recommendation. If you're one of the people who listens on iTunes or Spotify, if anyone's curious, I did get a haircut before today's episode. So um, despite being a homeless man, I no longer look like a shaggy homeless man anymore. My hair is, I, I cut off my curly locks. And frankly, as I as I gear up to eventually go on a long road trip, um, meaning I'm going to shower like at gyms and be all over the place. I was like, I don't really want to have long hair. I need to put product in and have to deal with it. I cut my hair off and we're back to the short hair look. And I, I feel frankly, way better. So if anyone's curious and you're listening on iTunes, you know, hey, go give the YouTube version a watch and check out your boy's new haircut because I, I feel like i looking pretty handsome. Hey, what's up? Hi. Hello. Hi, everyone. Anyway, on with the show. Let's talk about uh, what happened on Thursday night football. On Thursday night football, the Bengals beat Miami 27 to 15. And I got a couple little things to say about the game before we get into the obvious thing that happened. Like it was a, a whiteout in Cincinnati. Felt like a college atmosphere to start the game. I love Cincinnati. It's a great city. Like the Bengals uniforms were cool. So were, you know, they were wearing all white. Miami wearing all turquoise. Um, I guess it's worth saying it's a good win for Cincinnati. They started 0-2. Now they're 2-2. and They needed that win. They're kind of getting their season back together. Um, but I don't have a lot to say other than this, which is that the story of the game is that Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungvaloa left the game injured. It was a scary injury. He was extending a play, got slammed into the ground, hit his head. His fingers were like locked in different directions. It was really scary. And, and he left the game on a stretcher, unsettling and not good. And um, I didn't really want to talk about it. I was like, I, I mean, I have to talk about this. I'm a huge Tua fan. I found this very discouraging. Um, I thought, that as he's getting carted off the field, the fact that the fans in Cincinnati, which again, I want to repeat this. Cincinnati is one of my favorite places in America. I, I love, love, love the city of Cincinnati. Great people. Skyline Chili's awesome. Really cool that they were chanting to his name as he got carted off the field. But, uh, ugh, you know, I, I don't want to talk about concussions. Like, that's not why I started talking about football on a podcast. Um... I feel like I have to talk about this injury. Like, you can't ignore it. Um, and, and number one, it was really scary for Tua. That's the kind of injury that makes you reevaluate your decision to play football. I know that there are a lot of guys out there that don't play the game because they're afraid of head injuries. And, I mean, it'd be scary if it happened to me. Did you see his hands? They're, like, locked in these weird... The fingers locked in this weird direction. Like, I don't know. I It's like an out-of-body experience, I would imagine. I'm not Tua, but I can't imagine that was a, a comforting feeling. Um... And that's the dark side of football. Now, the other thing I have to say that I don't like saying, but it's also true. Hopefully, 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 hopefully this is finally the wake up call to a needs to learn the lesson once and for all. You got to throw the ball away. You have to protect your body to a. I love the guy. I really do. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff that I don't think he gets proper credit for. Um the the biggest knock on Tua is arm strength. The second one after that is injuries. And why does Tua get hurt so often? Honestly, 
It's because he takes too many hits. He holds on to the ball too long. He got hurt in college the same exact way. Extending a play, trying to keep a play alive, throw the ball out of bounds. You got to protect your body. And I don't know if this is the wake-up call he needs to finally, like, really change his habits and stop taking big hits. But um, I feel weird. I feel like I'm, I'm victim-blaming the guy. I don't want to do that. But it's like, dude, you, you got to protect your body a little better. This is a recurring issue for Tua. Get rid of the football. Do not take a big hit. Avoid big sacks. Um, you know, on Sunday, four days earlier against Buffalo, during week three, Tua hit his head. He left the game hurt, left the game injured. Came back in the third quarter. So now there's this big discussion. Should Tua have even been playing in this game? You know, four days later on Thursday night, he had a head injury. Should he have come back in the game? There's a lot of skepticism already. This is the confirmation bias people need, I guess, to... This gives people the confirmation they were looking for, which is that, oh, Tua was hurt. He shouldn't have come back in the third quarter. And now there are questions. Did Miami lie? Did they put Tua at risk? Uh, Remember, the owner is literally suspended from cheating. You know, the owner right now can't be at the facility in Miami, Stephen Ross, because he got in trouble for cheating this offseason, literally. So... I don't know. How could I know if Miami... A lot of people are, have all these hot takes. Tua shouldn't have been playing. This like I don't know, man. I don't know that there's exactly correlation between a hit on Sunday and a hit on Thursday. Like They're different plays. He got his head slammed into the ground. Um, I saw a very emotional Mike McDaniel, the head coach of Miami, talking about Tua's injury, kind of almost in tears. I I like that. I think that's honest. I think that's real. He'll probably get slammed for this. I bet the comments are really negative under that video, but I would imagine like that's honest. That's authentic. I don't think he would put Tua in harm's way. I really don't. I just, I look at that guy. It's a genuine, honest human. I just don't think there was ill intent there with Tua. Um, But it is a really bad look. I mean, a lot of people have made up their minds that Miami is lying, that they knew Tua wasn't fully healthy and they put him out on the field anyway. I... It's a bad look for the NFL overall to his injury situation right now. A lot of people are critical of the NFL and how they handle concussions. This isn't helpful for that. Now, I have a wild thought. Um, I might get in trouble for saying this, and I I don't know, man. It's, it's, a, it's authentic. It's honest. Um, if, it's a big if, but if Miami did actually lie to keep Tua on the field. Let's say they broke the rules, they lied. A, that's wrong. You can't do that. But B, in a weird way, if Miami did lie to keep Tua on the field, in a weird way, it actually shows a higher level of commitment than before. Um, If you're breaking rules to keep a player on the field, what that shows is uh, you think you can't win without him. I'm not even saying they broke the rules, but what I'm saying is if you're a Tua fan, you're kind of like, hey, actually... You know what? They must like the guy. I'm not. <laughs> it's a horrible thought. I acknowledge that. Kind of absurd. But you only bend the rules to keep a player out there if you think having him on the field gives you an advantage. So in a weird way, it's kind of a compliment to Tua. If in fact, if in fact, they knew he was hurt and still put him out there. It's kind of a weird indirect vote of confidence in Tua. But that's a big if. Now, you can't put winning uh, ahead of player safety. I'm going to wait to cast judgment. I would imagine there's going to be an NFL investigation. Let's see what happens. I go back to this, though, and maybe I'm gullible. But I I look at Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins head coach. It's a young guy. That's the guy who's been in 
incredibly genuine the entire process. The, the amount of time I've been paying attention to him, he's been awesome. He's been very straightforward, very candid. Probably going to get uh, a lot of flack for how honest he's been, to be totally honest. Getting emotional about your quarterback getting hurt. But I love that. That's real. They have, they have an actual relationship, and I... Um, I'm in no hurry to rush to judgment or have a hot take here. Oh, this happened or that happened. Like I, I don't know, man. I really don't. Um, was he hurt? Was he not? I, obviously, he left the game hurt, but going into the game, going into Thursday night football, was he so hurt he shouldn't have been playing? I, I have no idea. I don't know how you could possibly know that unless you're on the Dolphins staff or if you are Tua. Like, I, you know? Uh, what's interesting here, though, is after Tua left the game, Backup quarterback Teddy Bridgewater came in. He's been an NFL starter before. He got paid once to be the franchise guy in Carolina. Didn't work out, but they thought he was going to be. He got paid once to be in Denver. They thought he might be their starting quarterback there. This is a guy who is a very respectable NFL quarterback. Is Tua, sorry, is Teddy Bridgewater the best quarterback in the NFL? No. But he's a guy that I is a competent NFL quarterback. Played nine years, put together like 14,000 passing yards. A lot of touchdowns, more touchdowns and interceptions. He's a decent quarterback. And he put together one touchdown drive, sure. Actually, Miami led the game 15-14 to to start the fourth quarter. But ultimately, Cincinnati won the game 27-15. to And maybe that's because to his injury, it was like a cloud hanging over them. Maybe it's because Teddy really didn't have a lot of time to prepare for playing in this game. I'm not sure. But I, I want to acknowledge, I am disappointed and surprised that Teddy Bridgewater didn't do better in relief of Tua. Everybody talks about how incredible this offense is, right? It's basically like the Lamborghini of NFL offenses. And it doesn't really matter who's driving the Lamborghini because it's a really incredible high-performance sports car. You put anybody in there, they can win a race. You got Jalen Waddell, you got Tyreek Hill, you got Mike McDaniel calling plays. The vibe is any quarterback could do well in this system. I guess we're going to find out. Next week at the Jets, I would imagine Tua is not going to play. And we're going to learn how valuable Tua really is. Because right now, we see a guy who's been elevated by a better coaching staff and uh, a team friend, a quarterback-friendly coach and a really good receiving core. Maybe Teddy's going to be better next week with a whole week to prepare for the Jets. I don't know. And really, it's a 10-day stretch of time because Thursday Night Football creates an extended week to prepare for your next game. But I want to be clear about something. I was watching film of Carson Wentz last night. I watched the Eagles and Commanders game. thought I might do a film analysis there. I, I just It's not going to come together. But I I walked away from watching Carson Wentz with a whole new appreciation for Tua. Tua is not a big athlete. He's not a guy who can run around for 50 yards, doesn't have a rocket arm. Carson Wentz is that guy. Carson Wentz is tall. He's got a massive cannon for an arm. He can run around. And yet, I would actually rather have Tua as my franchise quarterback than Carson Wentz. Didn't expect to say that. Kind of crazy, but it's true. Everybody talks about how Tua is so accurate. Tua is really accurate. But what exactly does that mean? There's a lot of layers to that statement. It's not just that the ball is in the right location. 
Yeah, the ball placement from Tua is often very good. Not always. He ended up through Tyree Kill, through an interception against Cincinnati. I'm not saying he's perfect. Nobody is. But it's, accuracy means a lot of things. When I watch Tua, what stands out to me, and the thing that Tua doesn't get enough credit for, that he's been doing since his days in the Elite 11 at Alabama, everywhere. But the thing Tua gets really, really, is really, really good at. Timing and anticipation. I was watching Carson Wentz against Philadelphia this past weekend. And he is waiting until receivers are open and out of their break to throw the football. If there was a receiver running an out route, he's waiting until the receiver is already running towards the sideline to release the football. That's too late. You got to throw the ball before the receiver's breaking down and heading outside. That's called anticipation. Throwing the ball where the receiver's going to be, not where they're going. Carson Wentz is consistently late with the football. It's creating moments where he's holding on to the ball too long. He's getting sacked. It's causing all kinds of problems for the offense in Washington. On top of that, Carson Wentz has regularly been inaccurate, throwing behind receivers. His timing is terrible. In contrast, Tua, the thing he doesn't get credit for, he's a small guy with a weaker arm. Yeah, but his anticipation is outstanding. He anticipates when a receiver is going to be open, throws the ball into the window, the receiver runs into it, and they intersect with the football. It creates a catch. That's literally what happens. He throws the ball into windows and throws receivers open. That's anticipation at an NFL level. I think Tua isn't getting enough credit, actually, for that part of his game. I, I get it. I'm a huge Tua fan. People think I'm like a stan. I love Tua. I do love Tua. I'll criticize Tua if it's required. Absolutely. But timing and anticipation are more valuable than a rocket arm that doesn't have timing or doesn't have anticipation. I'm, I'm really, really fascinated to watch Miami without Tua. Because I've even said it myself. I, I'm like, hey, man, I wonder what it would be like to watch Jacoby Brissett run the Dolphins offense with Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddell. I thought Teddy Bridgewater was going to do better, frankly, coming off the bench. I even wrote down in my notes, like, you know, like, what if Tua leaves the game and is out for a couple of games, like, what are they really missing? Teddy Bridgewater can come in and run this offense. Yeah. But again, I, I watched film of Tua. I watched film of Carson Wentz, and I went... You know, there's this thing that Tua does. It's anticipation. It's timing. He's really good at understanding throwing lanes and throwing windows. Um, and so I, I'm I'm really fascinated what Miami's going to look like without Tua. Next week, maybe longer. Probably just they're going to have one game without him. But uh, Teddy Bridgewater is a decent quarterback. Not amazing, but not bad. I, I would compare it to... I'm going to make a Formula One reference. In Formula One, Red Bull right now has the very best car in Formula One. Their car is dominant. It's faster. It corners better. It's an incredible high-performance sports car. Uh, Fernando Alonso is a longtime veteran Formula One driver. The car he drives in with Alpine isn't as good. If you put Fernando Alonso in a Red Bull car, I'm pretty sure he'd win a lot of races and dominate a lot. The analogy is Miami's offense is the high-performance sports car. I would imagine a lot of people driving that car could win races. I would imagine Jacoby Brissett, Baker Mayfield, maybe Sam Darnold, maybe, uh, let's put it, Teddy Bridgewater. I would think Teddy Bridgewater would do well 
running this offense. We're going to find out. How valuable is Tua to Miami's offense? If they look incredible with Teddy Bridgewater, I think it's kind of a statement showing, you know what, Tua? You're good, but the system around you is even better. We're going to learn the value of Tua next week. I believe they're playing on the road at New York. I, I Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. I'm really curious to find out. What does Miami look like without Tua? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break tradition. I'm going to do something early. I'm going to go to questions from the audience because I, I, I kind of hit a chord here. Let's go ahead in the show. Uh, we have questions from, not Braden, Ultimate A, Nathan, and Tim. We're going to start. We're going to move ahead to this. Questions on Patreon. If you want to write in questions uh, for the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It gives you access to write in questions to the podcast. Um, it's a dollar a month. The dollar gives you access to write into the show. I don't guarantee to read your question on the show, but I read every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. I have three write ins I want to read. Uh, and then we'll get into something, an, another thought similar and parallel to this conversation with Tua. Ultimate A wrote in and said, Hi, Zach. Out of all the early narratives and headlines, surprises and shockers, I believe the one thing people aren't talking about is Jared Goff. Shocker, I know. Through the first three games, he's been having some damn good games. The offense has been clicking and have scored plenty of points, even in their losses. The emergence of Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, DJ Chark as a viable weapon. Those guys as viable weapons to throw to are helping propel the Lions offense in the right direction. As we talk about the early successes of quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Tua, and Jalen Hurts, which are duly deserved, Jared Goff should be kept in the mix as well. The Lions have the second most points scored in the league, second in points per game, third in total yards, and third in yards per game. All the early offensive success can be attributed to Jared Goff. People ragged on him in the past, and I agree that he is grossly overpaid for his quality of play. That said, Jared Goff has had a great start to the year, and I think people need to pay more attention to him. Thanks for reading, and glad to be posting Ask Zach Submissions Ultimate A. Yeah, man, it's hard to blame Jared Goff for a one and two start, two losses, one win, when you're scoring the second most points in the NFL. Jared Goff is delivering at a much higher level than people realize. Now, that leads me to a question from Tim. Tim writes in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read... So I'm going to read Nathan and then Tim back to back, and then I'll get into a story that's going to relate back to Tua Tungavaloa. Nathan says, coming into this year, I think many fans were skeptical of many players, one being Jared Goff up in Detroit. I was skeptical, skeptical coming into the year, but knew he wasn't terrible, but was probably going to be replaced in the upcoming draft. In the first few games, though, he hasn't been bad. He's definitely improved from last year and his limited turnovers and most of his bad plays. And as limited as turnovers and most of his bad plays, I do think they should draft a quarterback in the next draft, but things could change. What are your thoughts on Jared Goff this year and what should the Lions do at quarterback? So Nathan, I hear you. You think the Lions should replace Jared Goff? I, I would wait. Take your time. Quarterbacks are so easily, we, we throw them away so quickly. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you why it's a little bit silly to so quickly discard a quarterback without giving them proper support. That leads me to Tim's question. Tim says, hey, Zach, 
I was devastated to see Mac Jones suffer a high ankle sprain on the very last play of the game, especially on what looked like a late hit. It's been really disappointing because I think Mac had one of his best games against the Ravens. He was zipping the ball all over the field. The offense was moving with ease, and his interceptions seemed to be a result of miscommunications with his receivers rather than bad throws. My question for you is if Mac is out for a substantial portion of the year and the Patriots end up with a top five draft pick, have we seen enough potential for Mac Jones for the Patriots to not take one of the top quarterbacks? Personally, I think we have, and the Patriots should continue to build around him. But there will be skeptics who think otherwise. Where do you stand? So what have you established? Nathan is asking, hey, should the Lions consider replacing Jared Goff? Tim is saying, hey, um, you know, Mac Jones in his first year led New England to a playoff uh, appearance. But is he really good enough that you should pass on, I don't know, Bryce Young from Alabama? And then we've seen Tua, who didn't do well early on in his career. Then you gave him Tyreek Hill. You gave him Jalen Waddell, Mike McDaniel, a great receiving core, an awesome coach who really caters his approach to Tua. And and is a guy who's not going to come down. Mike McDaniel, when you screw up, isn't punishing you, isn't making you feel guilty and horrible. He's teaching you how to be better next time. It's a much more quarterback-friendly approach. Why, why are you going to have guys feel like they're in trouble? That, that's not right to me. So here's what I want to tell you guys. Never, ever forget this fact. This is a true story. It's wild. It's easy to forget. It's easy to overlook. If you don't know your history, it's not that long ago. But people can easily forget this little known fact or maybe often overlooked and often forgotten fact about the NFL. The NFL once almost gave up on Drew Brees as an NFL quarterback. Do you realize that (laughs) the Chargers discarded Drew Brees? They said, you're not good enough. Get out of here. And they replaced him with Phillip Rivers. In 2003, Drew Brees had a terrible year. He was 2-9 and as a starter. Two wins, nine losses. He had 11 touchdown passes and 15 interceptions. Drew Brees in 2003 did not do well. Eventually, the San Diego at the time, the San Diego Chargers replaced him and brought in Phillip Rivers and they booted Drew Brees. They said, get out of here. He got hurt and they moved on. Some of that was the injuries. Some of that was he wasn't playing at a high enough level. You realize Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. One of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen play the game. And he almost was on the streets without a team. If Drew Brees hadn't gone to the right situation, he wouldn't be the Hall of Fame quarterback he is today. Circumstances really, really matter. It matters where you go. It matters who your coaches are. It matters who you play with. Quarterbacks need support. You need good receivers. You need good teammates. You need a good offensive line. It helps you if you have a good defense. What have they said about Aaron Rodgers? By the way, Aaron Rodgers, two-time NFL MVP. What was the knock for years on his team? His receivers aren't good enough, and his defenses suck. You need help. Every single quarterback in the NFL needs help. I don't care who you are. And you need good coaching. You need coaching that works for you. So if Jared Goff is doing all pretty good. How about you double down and give him support? 
if Mac Jones in his first ever year as a starter took you to the playoffs, can you imagine if he was throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? You know what I'm saying? We just so quickly discard quarterbacks. And I think a guy who's deserved to have been moved on from is Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky was given opportunity after opportunity. He's just missing receivers open. It's not working. I think Trubisky is a great example of a guy who, hey, he's been given opportunities. It's time to move on. But I look at the situation in Miami. Mike McDaniel is a coach I would die for. I love that guy. He has your back. He's got Tua's back. I'd want to play for him. He's very pro player. The way he inspires confidence in people, the way he teaches rather than scold. Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, was kind of a... How do I put this in a way that's respectful? You were in trouble a lot. And I think one of the most important things you can do as a coach is give your players respect. I don't know that the way he treated Tua was very, uh, was full of respect. I think he was very uh, shaming and Tua was often in trouble and not good enough. Man, I I look at what's happening in Miami. What if Baker Mayfield had gone to Miami? You think Baker wouldn't look pretty dang good throwing to Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill? I think about guys like Tua who were given help and are, are doing very well. Jared Goff was given help and wasn't good enough in L.A. with the Rams. He got replaced by Matthew Stafford, who was better and won a Super Bowl. Sure. But do we, we act like players can't get better, can't make progress as quarterbacks. And Jared Goff is getting better. He's making progress. Jalen Hurts? In Philadelphia, the guy who's 3-0 right now, the only undefeated team left in the NFL. Jalen Hurts has gotten better every single year he's played the position. Go watch your one at Alabama to where he is today. It's a different quarterback. The years at Alabama. Year one. Then in the national title, getting replaced by Tua. And then eventually, uh, what happened? Let's see. He was the backup to Tua. Then he had to transfer to Oklahoma. Go watch him year one of college football to his last year at Oklahoma. Different quarterback. Then watch him year one at Philadelphia to year to now at Philadelphia. Different quarterback. Every year I've watched Jalen Hurts as a quarterback, he's gotten better. We act like quarterbacks can't get better, can't improve, can't change and develop as people and as players. Jared Goff is better today than he was three years ago. Tua got better. Jalen Hurts got better. So not only can players improve, but man, never forget the situation you're in, how much that matters. Daniel Jones, the quarterback in New York, man, he's made me want to bang my head against the wall a lot of times. But I think about, man, has he really had a lot of support in New York? I, I don't think so. And I I watched Monday Night Football last week when Daniel Jones got pressured 24 times, sacked five, thrown to the ground like every single play of the game. And I'm like, Daniel Jones was not given enough support to do well on Monday Night Football last week. So is it too early to even judge Daniel Jones with Brian Dable? Yeah, it is. Daniel Jones, Mac Jones, Jared Goff, Tua, Baker. It's a little lazy the way we just throw guys away and say, they suck. They're terrible. They clearly don't work hard. They're lazy. They, it's like, no, 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 man. Like, hey, uh, a quarterback getting pressured 24 times in a game isn't lazy. He's not being given a fair chance to succeed. Tua with a fair chance has looked pretty good through three games. Now he's hurt. He's going to miss a game. We'll learn a lot about Miami next week. 
But remember, I want to repeat this one more time. Drew Brees almost didn't become the Drew Brees we know today. Drew Brees got lucky. He went to New Orleans. He had Sean Payton, a coach who believed in him, who wanted him, and who was willing to work with him. Who was patient when his shoulder took time to heal. Read Drew Brees' book, Coming Back Stronger. It took time for him to get better. And practice number one, Drew Brees didn't look very good in New Orleans. And his coach, Sean Payton, was like, hey, man, you're good. Throw with your legs. You're throwing all arm. That's why your balls are dying. You got you to get the ball up. Use your legs to throw the football rather than just using all arm. It worked. It got better. You need a coach who believes in you, who's got patience for you, and wants you to succeed. I don't know that Baker had that with Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. He had a coach who butted heads with him. Maybe, maybe Baker's the problem. Maybe Baker can't get along with anybody. Possibly. But I just think, man, watching Tua succeed and then remembering that fact. I'm repeating it one more time. <laughs> Drew Brees almost didn't happen. Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback who almost didn't have a job. He got replaced in San Diego. Try remembering how much your situation matters, how much the people around you matters. We're so quick to throw quarterbacks away and discard them and say they're terrible and lazy and they suck. And often, way more than people want to admit, the situation you play in matters. The situation, the people around you, the coaching staff. I've said it before. Baker is in a terrible situation right now in Carolina. Baker Mayfield is the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers right now, and it is so discouraging. He's not being given a good chance to succeed at all, in my opinion. I wish Baker was somewhere else. I can't control that for Baker Mayfield. But Matt Rule? <laughs> who's, the, who's the offensive coordinator there in Carolina? It's the old guy who was the head coach of the Giants, who, who's awful. These quarterbacks, man, like you have to give them a better chance to succeed. Uh, even Carson Wentz, who... I, Man, I thought Carson Wentz had a great opportunity last year with a coach who liked him and believed in him. But he had an owner who wouldn't give him any patience. He had no great receiving core. And the Colts just dumped him and moved on. Now Carson's with another head coach, his third offense in three years. He's learning a new system. He looks like a mess. He's not got any confidence. It's so unfortunate. We have no patience. And I get it. You want guys to deliver immediately. But I think a lot more quarterbacks would succeed if you actually hired people who believed in them who wanted them and worked with them, had patience for them, and then actually supported them, gave them a great receiving core, give them a great offensive line. Then if they still don't work, then fair enough. One more time. <laughs> Effing Drew Brees, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, almost didn't happen. If he goes to Miami instead of New Orleans, we may not be talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback because he wouldn't have got the support he got from New Orleans and Sean Payton. So never forget that. It, it's, I know I just ranted for like 20 minutes about that, but we're just so quick to throw quarterbacks away. And it's not quite right to me. It's just, it's, in fact, it's lazy the way we just assume they suck, they're lazy, they don't work. It's like, wow, you got to give them more time than just a couple weeks and a high five. All right. Um, sorry for the rant. I just I had to get it out. Let's give credit to the Jaguars. During NFL Week 3, the Jaguars beat the LA Chargers 38-10. to What an awesome victory. It was a massive win. And there's a feeling with me, there's a feeling with Jacksonville, I guess, that it all worked out. I mean, 
They had a year with Urban Meyer, which was awful. But, I mean, it got him another top pick. Built their roster even more. Now they got the right coach. They've got Doug Peterson. And Doug Peterson looks like exactly the coach that was needed in Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence is playing really well. The Jaguars are 2-1. and one. They got an awesome receiving core. Christian Kirk looks like a great signing. They traded for Zay Jones from the Raiders. Zay Jones came over from Vegas. He was once an undrafted free agent, I believe, from East Carolina. Uh, in week three against L.A., Zay Jones, the guy, by the way, Zay Jones, you might remember his name. He had the game-winning touchdown pass against the Ravens last year for the Raiders. Came out of nowhere, had a touchdown in overtime to beat the Ravens. It was awesome. I think, I believe Monday Night Football, like a really fun moment. Guy came out of nowhere, and he's just been working and working and working. He's a quality player. Week three, Zay Jones, 10 catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown. Doug Peterson's offense is awesome, man. It's working. Trevor Lawrence looks great. And the big storyline going into this game between the Jaguars and L.A. was that the Chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert, was hurt. He's got messed up ribs, still recovering. And look, um, Justin played maybe... A bit gingerly. He was very careful. He avoided some big hits. Played cautiously, I would say. But he still had some big-time throws. I mean, it's not like Justin Herbert was useless on uh, Sunday. He had a big throw to Jalen Guyton. I was like, wow. Are you sure he's hurt? He looks awesome. And he did have a, a, a sack fumble where he got hit and he fumbled. And that didn't look good. Like, I'm not saying that Justin Herbert was 100%. But I don't think it's right to just dismiss Jacksonville and say that you know, the reason why they won 38-10 to 10 was because Justin Herbert was injured. Ah, that's lazy. That's not accurate. The Jaguars' defense legitimately played really, really well. I walked away going like, dang, man. They're making plays. They're making plays on the ball. They're getting after the quarterback. You got to give credit to the Jaguars. And a cool thing about the Jaguars' defense this year, last year, all season, in 17 games, 17 games, the Jaguars' defense only had... Nine takeaways. They were dead last in the NFL. Right now, through three games, they already have eight takeaways. They're one shy of the total they had last year. Eight takeaways tied for first in the NFL. Things are changing in Jacksonville. They deserve, frankly, a standing ovation. Well done, Jacksonville. You're figuring it out. It looks better. Trevor Lawrence looks awesome. They had three drives in the second half other than their kneel down. Uh, the three drives they put together were all touchdown drives. They had a great drive at the end where they, it was like a nine-minute drive. They kept Justin Herbert on the field. They closed out the game. The Jaguars look awesome through three games, and this weekend is a massive, massive game. They are 2-1 and one playing Philadelphia, who's 3-0. and oh. It's Doug Peterson's former team. It's a big game. I believe it's at Philadelphia. Two teams playing well, and I, it's an awesome opportunity, but I, I just think that it's easy to dismiss that game and say, well, Justin Herbert was injured. No, 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 no. The Jaguars played outstanding during NFL Week 3. I, I want to give him a lot of respect. It's awesome. Got a couple other notes. I mean, um, Lamar Jackson played outstanding against the New England Patriots. Um, Carson Wentz looked really bad against Philadelphia. It was frustrating. Not all bad. The offensive line had struggles, but he was inaccurate. He was had bad timing. The uh, the play calling wasn't great. I mean, I Washington. I I need a I need another reason to get excited because what I saw from Washington against Philadelphia was very very discouraging. Uh, but let's now talk about let's talk about NFL Week Four. This weekend is NFL Week Four. The number one game I'm most excited for. 
is Buffalo at Baltimore, the Bills at the Ravens. This is a massive game. Both teams are 2-1. and one. Two incredible quarterbacks, Josh Allen against Lamar Jackson. It's going to be a fun one. Lamar Jackson is playing out of his mind right now, and I would say that this is the game of the week for sure is Buffalo at Baltimore. And uh, two quarterbacks both drafted in 2018. Definitely the two best quarterbacks from that draft class. And uh, I'm excited, man, to see what happens there. It's going to be wild. They are incredibly talented and look really, really good. Now, another fun one for a different reason. Probably not as exciting. Probably not going to get as incredible level of quarterback play. But the Jets play at Pittsburgh. And the storyline here, the reason why I'm excited is it's going to be Jets quarterback Zach Wilson's first game of the year. He's returning from a minor knee injury during the preseason. And uh, if you want something interesting to watch, go watch how Zach Wilson does during NFL Week 4. I have no idea what to expect. I'm hoping he does well. And I'm very, very excited to watch how he does on the road at Pittsburgh. Number three, Denver at Vegas. The Broncos at the Raiders. The Raiders are 0-3. And it's it's bad. Like, I... I I think they're a talented football team. I keep hoping they're going to be better, but it's very possible only three games into the year that the year is already over for Vegas. They, you cannot start 0-4. And Denver, in contrast, somehow has, has struggled their way to starting 2-1. I don't know how they have two wins on the year. They look horrible, but they it's been ugly. But they, they got two victories so far this year, and I think that this game... While the Raiders are a better football team, anything could happen. Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, a division matchup, AFC West division matchup. I am very, very curious to see what happens between Denver and the Raiders. And number four, the Jaguars at Philly. This is a massive game. The Jaguars are 2-1. Philly is 3-0. Um, I think these defenses are both really good. The Jaguars defense... Tied for first in takeaways. Philadelphia's defense is making plays on the football. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I. It's a fun quarterback matchup. It's Jalen Hurts against Trevor Lawrence. Remember, Doug Peterson got fired by Philadelphia and replaced by Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni's looked pretty good. Nick Sirianni you know, led Philadelphia to a playoff appearance in his first ever year in Philadelphia. So Doug Peterson against his former team, it's an interesting, exciting storyline. I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, Philly should be the favorite, but man, the Jaguars do have a legitimate opportunity to win this football game. All right, I got one prediction this week. Um, so far, my predictions have been wildly unsuccessful this year. Like, I've been wrong basically every time. So please do not gamble with what I'm about to say. Um, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but Packers at Patriots this week... Feels like an easy one. Um, the Patriots quarterback, Mac Jones, has a high ankle sprain. He's out for the game. It's, I mean, you get conflicting reports, but I've, it's been reported he's out. Uh, now, I also hear, well, he's at practice, and he's not talking like he's going to miss the game, but I don't think Mac Jones is going to play. I mean, Bill Belichick says, Mac Jones' injury is day-to-day, but when it first happened, people said he'd be out a few weeks. Adam Schefter's reported he's not going to play in this football game. Brian Hoyer is expected to be the starting quarterback for the Patriots. He's lost 11 games in a row that he started. Um, without Mac, I just can't imagine Green Bay not winning this football game. So I am going to predict Green Bay is going to beat New England. I know, crazy, amazing. But wow, no, I picked the easy ones. Feels like an easy one here, but 
I would have told you last week that um, <laughs> there were easy ones that I got wrong too. So I even like I thought for sure Kansas City was going to dominate Indy and Indy beat Kansas City. So it's the NFL; anything could happen. But I find it hard to believe Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are going to lose to Brian Hoyer and the Patriots, even on the road in New England. Now the Cowboys play Washington this weekend. I've got my eyes on Washington quarterback Carson Wentz. I have been. Really disappointed with him so far this year. I thought week one was awesome. He had two touchdowns. Jahan Dotson, he had multiple touchdowns. Jahan, Do- Jahan Dotson had two touchdowns. I remember that's the key detail I'm remembering from week one. But I thought, I, I guess what I've seen so far this year, I watched film of that Eagles Commanders game last weekend. Carson has been really, really lacking detail. He's had, he's been inaccurate throwing the football. He's had awful timing. He's been late. No anticipation on throws. And I get it. Carson Wentz is in a new offense. He's learning a new system. But I think this is the week where Carson's got to show up. I, I'm losing patience. I'm not going to wait any longer. Dallas has a really, really impressive defensive line. They are going to get after Carson Wentz and cause him problems. And I'm I'm worried that, you know, after getting sacked by Philadelphia nine times during NFL Week 3 against another really good pass rush in Dallas, I think he's going to just get obliterated. And so... Um, keep your eye on Washington quarterback Carson Wentz. I'm worried for him. I think they think he's their franchise quarterback, but what we've seen through the first three weeks has not been encouraging at all. And uh, keep your eye on that storyline. How about Vikings at New Orleans? Jameis Winston is hurt. He most likely is not going to play. So the Saints quarterback is going to be Andy Dalton. I don't say what I'm about to say lightly. Um... I think it's very possible that maybe Andy Dalton is going to be an upgrade from Jameis Winston. I don't like saying that. I have been rooting for Jameis to prove himself as the franchise quarterback in New Orleans. But in the last two weeks, he's got five interceptions in the fourth quarter. Now, one of them was tipped. One was on a Hail Mary. It's still not good. And I, in my opinion... This Saints offense has not scored enough points to start the year. You've got Alvin Kamara, Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave, Michael Thomas. He's not playing this game, by the way. He's injured. An awesome offensive line, a really good defense. Like, the Tampa Bay game was out there for the taking, and Jameis didn't score enough points and didn't make it happen. So, I think in a weird way, it's very possible Andy Dalton might even steal the starting job in New Orleans this weekend. I know that's blasphemous. That's unbelievable, but... Um, you know, I, we'll, we'll see how Andy Dalton does. He might be terrible too. I'm not a big, I'm really saying that the reason why Andy Dalton might become the starting quarterback in New Orleans is not because Andy Dalton is so impressive. It's because Jameis has been so disappointing. I've been waiting and waiting for him to grab this opportunity by the horns and take it. And he just hasn't. So I'm hoping maybe Andy Dalton can do better. I don't know, but Really, the story here is that Minnesota has a great opportunity to start 3-1. and one. The Vikings starting 3-1 and one with a new coach and at a reinvigorated offense would be a massive deal. And I, I like the Vikings here a lot, but I'm hoping, I am praying Andy Dalton can do something good for the Saints. Cleveland at Atlanta. The Browns are 2-1. and one. They're trying to keep their season alive until Deshaun Watson there. $235 million quarterback comes back. A 3-1 and one start with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback would be massive. He's played pretty well. 
they had one insane loss to the Jets, but otherwise, I mean, they, they probably should be 3-0 right now. Um, I like the Browns here. I Them starting 3-1 and would be great for their fan base, but I, I will say I'm rooting for Falcons quarterback Marcus Mariota. I want to see him do well. I love Marcus Mariota. Big fan of him. Um, so Browns, Falcons, rooting for Marcus Mariota. But remember, if they can start 3-1 and with Jacoby Brissett, that's a massive, massive victory for Cleveland. Seattle at Detroit. Man, I want to see Detroit win this football game. I am rooting for Detroit openly. Detroit has talent. They're playing a lesser opponent. And if if things really are changing in Detroit with Dan Campbell, their head coach, this is a gimme game you got to win. When you play a lesser opponent like Seattle and you're a good franchise, you win this game. You don't play down to the level of your opponent. You, you know, you take care of business and win by 20 points. That's what should happen between Detroit and Seattle this weekend. You're at home. You're missing your best receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown. That's a big deal. But uh, I I have high hopes for Detroit this week. I'm a, I'm like a closeted Detroit Lions fan, just wanting to see Jared Goff do well. Wanting to see the Lions. I think even people, someone commented this the other day, like even Vikings fans, even Packers and Bears fans, when their team isn't playing against Detroit, they root for the Lions because they're the little engine that could. They've been so bad for so many years that they're the new Cleveland Browns. I want to see the Browns won a playoff game. And, I, and then I don't care anymore. Like, now they got this awful quarterback who's got all these off-the-field problems. My affinity for Cleveland is gone. I've shifted that energy to Detroit. I want to see Detroit here do something awesome. I want to see them win a game. They started 1-2. and two. I think they're better than that record. Can we see Detroit beat Seattle this weekend like they should? Now, on the flip side, Geno Smith could play spoiler here. And uh, you never know. I, I don't know what to expect from Geno Smith. Probably mediocre quarterback play, but we'll see. How about Tennessee at Indy? The Colts beat Kansas City last week. Um, They're trying to save their season. They got to keep it going. I thought that week three was a shocking, frankly, an upset where Indy beat Kansas City. I did not see that coming at all. And now you got to keep it going. Your season is at risk. You can't, you're one, one, and one. You can't start one, two, and one. And so, I, frankly, both teams here are, are one-win teams, Indy and Tennessee. Both teams only have one win. It's a huge AFC South division matchup between the Titans and the Colts. And uh, it's kind of, I think it's going to be kind of a bloodbath, to be totally honest. I think it's going to be physical. It's going to be a lot of running the football, a lot of play action. Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, physical defense. Keep your eye on this game. If you like, if, you're, if you played like linebacker in high school and you like physical football— Watch the Titans at Colts this weekend during NFL Week 4. Bears at Giants. Uh, the Giants are coming off of a horrible Monday night football game last week. They have a huge opportunity here to get back on track. The Giants do. Now, last week, Chicago played Houston, and it was an interesting matchup between Davis Mills and Justin Fields. I think that was a very even matchup between two teams that are not very good but have something interesting and are trying to make progress as a franchise. I think this week is a similar game for the Bears where you're playing a struggling Giants team that started 2-0 but probably played a little above their their um, their their talent level maybe is a good way to put it. I don't know how to say that, but these are two teams that are not very good. But I, I expect Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, a close, entertaining football game. Maybe not a very pretty football game. Probably some ugly plays here and there, some mistakes, maybe some turnovers. I don't know, but 
despite the fact that it might be kind of ugly at times, I think it's going to be interesting. And if you want a nail-biter, an interesting, tense, dramatic football game, that is what I, what I expect between Chicago and New York this weekend. How about the L.A. Chargers at Houston? L.A. is 1-2. and two. I don't mean to badmouth Houston here. I, I Their quarterback, Davis Mills, does some good stuff. I We'll see. L.A. cannot afford to lose to a winless Houston Texans football team this weekend. I really like the Chargers head coach, Brandon Staley. I don't want to see the guy get fired. I am worried for him. <laughs> you start 1-2. and two. If you start 1-3, and three, you lose to Houston. <sighs> I, I don't know if the Chargers have the balls to fire their coach after four games, but um, I hope they don't. I, re- I love Brandon Staley, man. I, call me a softie. I'd want to play for him in a heartbeat. I think he's a great coach. I think what's happening in LA is they got a lot of problems with injuries and all kinds of stuff, but injuries aside, LA cannot lose this game to Houston during NFL week four. And uh, we'll see what happens. But if they lose this game, they're in trouble. Arizona, Carolina, another game where Arizona can't lose this football game. If Arizona wants any respect as an NFL franchise, You cannot lose to the Panthers during NFL Week 4, period, point blank. Arizona has to beat Carolina on the road at Carolina. Sunday Night Football, Kansas City at Tampa. I think Kansas City's a better team here. Uh, Florida was just hit by a hurricane. I'm not really sure how how Hurricane Ian is going to impact this football game. Maybe it won't. I'm not really sure, Um, but I'm curious. And I think there's potential for fun because it's Patrick Mahomes against Tom Brady. Two legendary quarterbacks. I, I think anytime that happens, there's potential for a really good, fun finish and an interesting matchup. So um, if any team wins in a blowout, I would imagine Kansas City would win blowing out Tampa. Uh, but what I'm hoping for, really, I'm crossing my fingers, I want a good, interesting, fun game. I feel similarly about Monday Night Football. Uh, the Rams play at San Francisco on Monday Night Football. The Rams should dominate their better team. I don't respect Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, very much. However, Rams 49ers games are always close. They're always interesting. They, they just, it's uncanny how much, these teams know each other very well. They play each other two, sometimes even three times a year, depending on if they rematch in the playoffs. Um, it's an NFC West division game. So I hope it's going to be a good game. I, I think LA is a better football team, but um, keep your eye on Rams 49ers on Monday night. It'll be a fun primetime game and, I'm hoping for a good, tense, and hopefully heart, you know, nail-biting, heart-wrenching end to a football game on Monday night. Let me drink some water, then we'll talk about college football. This weekend is college football week five. There are five games I think you should pay attention to this weekend in college football. Game number one is this. Number seven ranked Kentucky on the road at number 14 ranked Ole Miss. Both teams are 4-0. And it's a fun quarterback matchup. Will Levis, the quarterback for Kentucky against Ole Miss quarterback Jackson Dart. I'm just excited, man. I love high-level quarterback play. I think we're going to see that on Saturday. And uh, Kentucky at Ole Miss should be really, really fun. Game number two is number two ranked Alabama at number 20 ranked Arkansas. Alabama in the past has struggled with quarterbacks who are mobile and can extend plays. Guys like Johnny Menzel. Um, Quinn Ewers, actually, for Texas a couple weeks ago. Really, really challenged Alabama before he got hurt. Now, Arkansas has a mobile quarterback, K.J. Jefferson. 
Here's the problem, though. He's not quick and elusive. He runs like Derrick Henry. He's going to run you over. He's big and powerful like a running back. I don't know that he's going to be able to extend plays the way you need to to cause Alabama problems the way other quarterbacks have historically. I believe Alabama wins this football game. I think they're better in the trenches. Uh, I don't know that Arkansas is good enough to pull off the upset. I'm hoping they can challenge Alabama. I don't think they can. But I'll watch because I'll take any opportunity to watch Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. It's it's a show. It's so fun. It's so entertaining. He is one of the most electric and exciting quarterbacks in college football. If you like a guy who can run around, extend plays, make sidearm throws, and do all kinds of crazy stuff, you're going to see that from Bryce Young against Arkansas. So if you want if anything else, watch Arkansas-Alabama because you want to watch Bryce Young put on a show on Saturday. How about number four ranked Michigan at Iowa? I just, cross your fingers, I hope Iowa can challenge Michigan. I thought that last week Maryland did challenge Michigan. Michigan held their own. They won. Uh, But I don't know. I I love Michigan's quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. He's fun. He can run around. He can extend plays. I'm going to watch. I'm pumped. I want to watch J.J. McCarthy, and I hope that Iowa can challenge Michigan. Game number four. Number 10 ranked NC State. At number five, Clemson. Home game for Clemson. Clemson should win. Both games, both teams are 4-0. But, um, you know, I, I got a lot of hope uh, because people keep hyping up NC State's quarterback, Devin Leary. I think he's kind of just an – he'll be an NFL backup. He'll be like a, a 10-year Mike Glennon style, who actually played at NC State, by the way. But Kyle Allen's another guy. Mike Glennon, there are guys who, Chase Daniels, another one, guys who play for like 10 years as a backup in the NFL who are, they're good guys, they're good for the system, they they work hard, but they're not really talented enough to be a starter, but they, they hang around, and I think Devin Leary's probably that kind of quarterback. But he's, he's still a starter in college, he's not a backup yet, so let's see how he does. I'm really interested to see how Clemson quarterback DJ Uwe Ungale follows up his breakout five-touchdown performance from last weekend at Wake Forest to win the game. In double overtime, by the way. How does DJ play this weekend? He had a breakout game. I thought he finally arrived on the scene. I'm like, finally, DJ looks like a great college quarterback. The thing we thought he would be all along as a really top recruit in college football. How is DJ going to play this weekend at home against a decent 10-ranked North Carolina State football team? Game number five should be fun. It's number 22, Wake Forest at number 23, Florida State. It's just a notable, interesting matchup. Uh, Wake Forest is 3-1. and one. Their only loss is to Clemson. Florida State is 4-0. They beat LSU earlier this year, so it should be fun. And then honorable mention, I'm not going to watch this game unless I'll record it. I will. I record every game. I'll record it, and if it's got an interesting finish or some like goes to overtime or has a... Maybe it's, even if it's close, I'll watch it because I like fun, entertaining football. But I, I'm not that interested in number 9, Oklahoma State, at number 16, Baylor, People are going to expect me to mention it, so I'll watch it if it's interesting. I'll record it for sure, but personally, I'm not very interested in Baylor as a program. Uh, the number one game I'm excited to watch, probably, uh, actually, man, that, that Bryce Young game. Bryce Young at Arkansas. Like I, I heard someone recently talk about how fun it is to go on the road and quiet a stadium. I think you're going to see that from Bryce Young on the road at Arkansas. Arkansas, that's going to be a fun game for Bryce Young and Alabama. Uh, How does DJ play this weekend? DJ Uwe Ungle, the quarterback at Clemson, can he follow up his five-touchdown game against Wake Forest this week? 
And then, hey, I haven't watched Jackson Dart yet, the quarterback. He transferred from USC to Ole Miss. I thought he was going to fit very well into Ole Miss's system with Lane Kiffin. This will be my first time watching him playing at home against number seven ranked Kentucky. Both teams are 4-0. Um, I'm, man, that'll be a fun game too. So there's like three or four really interesting college football games this weekend. Of course, some other game will be surprising. There'll be an upset or two or whatever. But uh, those are the games I'm personally excited for going into this weekend. All right. Uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, you can donate a dollar. It gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally does pay my bills. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is to look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. Braden writes in first. Braden says this. In your opinion, should the LA Chargers have rested Justin Herbert with his injury against Jacksonville on Sunday? Even with him, they looked completely outmatched at points, and Doug Peterson looked as if he was coaching circles around Brandon Staley. What would you have done in this scenario? Um, first of all, I want to repeat this. I love Love Chargers head coach Brandon Staley. I would want to play for him. I'd go to war for him. I love how he treats his players. He went out of his way to take responsibility for Herbert being on the field last week. Um, I understand that there's a risk of him getting hurt more and ending the season. But isn't there also a risk if you lose games early in your year? Because you, if, you, if you start one and three and you lose to Houston this week because you don't play Justin Herbert, isn't that worse? Like, you can't get in a big hole and... L.A. didn't lose because Justin Herbert was hurt. And also, you can't go into a game saying, well, we're not going to win this one. We're going to lose 38-10, to 10, so we're not going to play Herbert. Like, you don't know what to expect. Um, the reason why L.A. lost was because the Jaguars got outcoached by... Sorry, the Jaguars outcoached L.A. The, the Chargers got outcoached by Doug Peterson's staff with Jacksonville. Um, so how would I handle this situation? I'm not sitting on my best player. If he wants to play in the game, I'm like, hey, Justin, you want to go? Go for it, man. You're my guy. Let's do it. I, I think a Chargers injuries are really concerning. You know, their defense, defensive injuries are piling up for L.A. The Jaguars had three long, sustained drives in the second half. They only had the ball for three drives. They had one other drive, but it was like they kneeled down to end the game. So I don't really count that. The Jaguars really only had the ball three times in the second half last week, and they just put together long touchdown drives. That's... LA's defense isn't cutting it, and uh, they got a defensive head coach, <laughs> which is a problem. So, I don't know, man. LA's got a lot of great players, but if the guys aren't playing, it doesn't matter. Like, availability really matters. Their guys have not been available recently. I just saw Joey Bosa was going on to the uh, injured reserve. So, um, what's happening in LA? Injuries are piling up. You got a young coach. Uh, their offensive coordinator in LA is not exciting enough to me. Um, I almost wonder, I think that's the problem when you hire a defensive head coach is that you get an, you have to hire an awesome offensive mind to be your offensive coordinator. And that guy always eventually leaves to go be a head coach. If the offensive coordinator does well at all, they leave you. Brian Dable is an awesome offensive coordinator in Buffalo. He wasn't a head guy, so he went to New York to be the head coach. And Sean McDermott lost his offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Brandon Staley, I think, needs to hire a better offensive mind to be his offensive coordinator for Justin Herbert. 
But if you do that, eventually that guy's going to leave. The same way Mike McDaniel left it, you know, uh, Miami. Zach Taylor left at Cincinnati. Offensive coordinators that do well go become head coaches. And uh, But that's that's what they need, I think, in L.A. really is a new offensive coordinator. He's got uh, a reinvigorated sense of new ideas and he's going to put in more motions and do different things to get players better in scenarios to do well. I mean, they've got players with unique skill sets that are being used in a very cookie-cutter, boring way, and it's been frustrating to watch. This is my thoughts on L.A. I don't know if I entirely answered it, but Austin writes in. Austin says, not a question, but I do believe the Dolphins have that dog in them. One more time. Not a question, but I do believe the Dolphins have that dog in them. That's what Austin says. Um, yeah, man, I'm curious to see what Miami does without Tua in their lineup next week. I'm a big fan of Mike McDaniel, man. I, I love his coaching style, the new head coach of Miami. He gives his players confidence and when you make mistakes, he teaches you rather than scolding you. People don't want to feel in trouble. Uh, Mike McDaniel really respects his players, and no one in the NFL wants to make a mistake. There's not a single player in the NFL who goes, I want to suck. No one's. People work hard. They want to get paid. They want to win. They want to do well. And I like the way Mike McDaniel respects his players and believes in them. And I love that approach. I think it's a, it's a new... It's, it's the new approach to coaching in the NFL that is going to be, uh, I think, the future of the game. All right. Uh, Sean writes in. <laughs> it's a funny one. Sean writes in and says this. I'm just here to say that this time last year, the Panthers were 3-0, and and they were projected to make a deep playoff run. Now, what's everyone's favorite snack? Sean, thanks for the reminder. Uh, I think... Yeah, Carolina was 3-0 last year. They played some kind of bogus early scheduling stuff. Um, I look at the 3-0 teams. Now, Miami's now no longer 3-0. They lost to Cincinnati on Thursday Night Football. But the 3-0 start for Miami was they beat Belichick. Then they beat Lamar Jackson. Then they beat Buffalo. That's a legit 3-0 start to your season. And I, I walk away going, like, that's a good football team. Uh, Philadelphia, they're legit too. I mean, I, did you watch the way they shut down the Washington offense during week three? Their defense is incredible. Jalen Hurts is playing really well. They've got receiving weapons everywhere. Um, Philly's a legit Super Bowl contender, frankly. They're going to win their division. And, uh, I, I, I don't think this year, the two teams that were three and zero to start the year, Miami, who's now three and one and Philly, who's three and zero, looking at Jacksonville at home during week four. Those are two good football teams that are probably playoff teams, to be totally honest, depending on what happens with the quarterback situation in Miami. So, um, now Sean, you asked about snacks. What are, I can't speak for everyone. Uh, and I'll start by saying not really a snack, but something I've been eating as a meal a lot recently, PB and J's. I love a good PB and J and I buy the stupid jelly, the crappy kind that you squeeze out like a ketchup bottle at the top. I don't like scooping it out of a jar. I like to squeeze it out like mustard or ketchup style. That's awesome, though. I love that stuff. Um, PB&Js, like, if you're actually hungry, a PB&J, nothing gets a spot quite like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I, I absolutely love PB&Js. That's not really a snack, though. That's more of a meal. But if you're living out of your pickup truck, it's a great snack and a great meal. Um, now, I'm not in my truck full time yet. I've been in the houses a lot. Popcorn. Microwave popcorn. Oh, boy. I love microwave popcorn. It's cheap, it's easy, 
it's uh i i'm the kind of i like eat it like a lizard where i put it in the bowl and i, I like i dick my, stick my tongue into the bowl and like grab one out piece by piece now actually the other day i did that i i, I i'm holding the bowl of popcorn my face is buried in the bowl of popcorn I stick my tongue out to grab, like lizard style, grab a piece of popcorn off of the, out of the bowl. And I lock eyes with a spider who was hiding in my popcorn. Horrified, I got up, I dumped it all down the sink. I turned on the, what do you call it? The garbage disposal. And I garbage disposed the hell out of that spider. But there was a spider hiding in my popcorn. That was horrible. Um, other snacks that are good. Goldfish is really good. Pretzels are always really good. Um... Cheese and crackers, man. Now here's a not really a snack, but I want to give a shout out to what are they, they called? The nerds like gummy bites things. What are they? I want to figure out the right thing. Uh, they're nerds gummy clusters. Oh yeah, dude. You want to have some? What does Pat McAfee call them? Vitamins. You have some vitamins and gummy clusters. The nerds ones. Oh my goodness, guys. That's a dangerous, delicious snack. Um, so yeah, goldfish, pretzels, popcorn, cheese and crackers. I love charcuterie boards. All great snacks. I want to end the show today with this. Um, Carter wrote in on Patreon. Carter said this. Carter said, let me pull it up. Carter says, please, please, please go read John Wall's article in the Players' Tribune. Heartbreaker, but phenomenal story. Carter, thank you for pointing me towards that. I did read that, and I'm going to talk about it. I uh, It hit home for me. John Walls, right in on the Players' Tribune. One of the key quotes he gave early was that, you know, he had all this money and fame and still felt really depressed, and he felt guilty about it. And I remember, man, I've, I've struggled with depression in my life, especially in the last year. And I, I have felt really guilty when I feel depressed. I'm like, man... You talk about sports for a living. I lived in Hawaii and talked about sports for a living. And I, I felt incredibly depressed. I called up my engagement. It was going really bad. And I was like, man, I'm supposed to be happy. I have everything on paper and it's not working out for me. And I had to really reshape my values and change a lot of stuff in my life. Look at me now. I'm, I'm much happier and I live in a pickup truck. It's very weird. I'm, I mean, I'm sleeping at my friend's house, but like I'm, I'm always on the go. I sleep in my back like... I don't even have a canopy yet. I slept in a hammock yet last night. Like, it's just, I'm just driving around having fun, man. I'm basically homeless and I'm the happiest I've ever been. Um, and I, I've had to reshape my values and do stuff for me and figure out what do I actually care about in life? Like, what really matters to me? And um, as I've done that, I've, I've found happiness. Like, stuff on paper is great, but it, it's not very not a lot of depth there. You need other stuff. And John Wall has had some painful losses. In his Players Tribune article, John Wall talks about how his dad, who was in jail, died when he was nine years old of cancer. And like he's, he met him like, he got to come out of jail to say goodbye to him, basically. Um, you know, his mom died of breast cancer in 2018. And his mom was like his best friend. And then John Wall got hurt and he couldn't play basketball, which is the thing he's built his career doing. So all that money is great. But when your mom dies, you can't play basketball. You got depression. I, I get it. I get, you know, the, the money doesn't solve those problems. You got to go get help. And he said he went and got help. And um, I, I have always been rooting for John Wall. People hate on him a lot. I didn't know about his mom dying in 2018. That's old news, but I didn't know about it. And now I feel justified in my 
the fact that I like John Wall and I've been rooting for him, it's a lot of adversity to handle. And John Wall said he needed help and he got help and it was good for him. Sports commentators often lack compassion. Uh, I think it's the worst part of the sports media is that we just flippantly dismiss people and call them awful. And um, there's a guy, Stephen A. Smith. I hate that guy. Like he, he's a entertainer. He's it's performative. He calls people out. He says all this stuff. I don't think he believes most of what he says. I, I hate that guy with a passion. I'd love, love to sit down and have a conversation with Stephen A. Smith and say, really? Can you stop yelling at me and actually talk to me and like have a real conversation? And I've seen clips of Stephen A. Smith say all kinds of horrible stuff about John Wall. I, I hope he knows about John Wall's mom now. I, ho I hope he understands like the adversity John Wall's had to go through. Every athlete has a story. You can't dehumanize them, and no one does that more often than Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith regularly, I see clips of that guy dehumanizing athletes constantly, and it's disgusting. I hate it so much. Um, there's a great quote from John Wall in the Players' Dream article. Money and fame don't mean blank, he cusses, if you don't have peace in your life. Guys, that is why I'm living in my pickup truck. I get asked questions. Why is he in the truck? What's going on? What's happening? Why are you recording out of a pickup truck? Because it makes me happy. It's fun. I love it. I drive around. I've got a mobile office. I'm having the time of my life. I, you know what I'm going to do after I record this episode? I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to upload the podcast on my laptop. While it uploads using 5G internet, I'm going to play my PlayStation Vita. And I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A, have lunch, have dinner. Go to bed. Have a great... Like, I'm enjoying my life. I'm outside all day. I'm having adventures. I'm having a great time. My values have changed. I don't think I need a gray curtain behind me to have a good podcast. So the same way John Wall talked about struggling and feeling the sense of I have everything and I'm not happy, I felt that way too. And I'm like, I got to save myself. I got to do what's best for me. I'm adventuring. And I find myself even more than before now convicted in rooting for John Wall. He's in LA. He's got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Now he's got uh, Paul George is there now too. It's going to be fun. I'm rooting for John Wall in LA. I hope he does well. I, I so badly want to see that guy do well. It'd be cool if he won a championship, frankly, to see the Clippers and John Wall win a title. Oh man. To see him get back to the top of the basketball world. It'd be awesome. And I, uh, he was pretty committed to Washington. People talk a lot of smack, but John Wall wanted to make it work in Washington. Like he was the guy, he was committed to them long-term and, it didn't work out. They left him. But I think that's a painful thing to leave the franchise you're committed to and feel loyalty to. Um, so, man, I just, I want to see John Wall do well in L.A. And uh, I am really, really, really rooting for the guy. And, and when you hear people talk about athletes, um, just feel free to remind people, hey, that's a human being. There's a story there. There's a reason why. That's going on in their life. I think of Solomon Thomas, a defensive end for, gosh, where is he now? I believe he's in New York with the Jets, actually. He is. He's playing for his old coach, Robert Sala. He was a number three overall pick out of Stanford to the 49ers and didn't really pan out. He, he never became the, the great defensive end they wanted him to be. But his, his sister died. His sister took her own life. And that really derailed a lot of his life. And people don't talk about that. They talk about Solomon Thomas was a terrible draft pick because he wasn't good enough. Solomon Thomas had a tragedy 
And when your sibling dies, as my sibling, my brother died six years ago, when you're struggling with that stuff and have tragedy in your life, football doesn't matter. Like, you're like, I don't, I don't care. Athletes are people too. I was watching uh, my screensaver last night. It was a Saharan desert. It looked like the movie Dune. And I'm like, man, you know what? They don't care about football in sub-Saharan Africa. Like, they just don't care. They're trying to survive day to day. There are people that bake bread in the sand, literally, by the way, in the desert out there. And I kind of yearn for that, a, a world where there's less pressure to perform all the time and there's less of this stuff. And I, I love sports, but um, remember, there's a lot of humanity going on too. And you can't dismiss humanity uh, when you're talking about sports and athletes because athletes are people too. And it just, I really, um, Carter, in summary, thank you so much for telling me to read this John Wall article. It spoke to me in so many ways. And I, uh, I'm very, very grateful. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm happy, man. I'm really enjoying my life. Uh, I got a girlfriend, by the way, and we play Fortnite. I, I, I can't believe how lucky I am. I, I got this awesome person in my life. I got good family. I'm dating a girl who doesn't care that I live in a pickup truck, and I'm, I'm excited to, like, be homeless, basically. Like, I, I'm not homeless yet. I'm, I'm still—I'm spending all my money, basically— building out the inside of my pickup truck so that I can live in it and then drive around. I'm not there yet. I'm waiting on my canopy behind me, but um, I've got people in my life who support that. I think that's awesome. I can't believe I found a girl who plays Fortnite with me, who's beautiful, who thinks it's cool I'm going to live in my pickup truck. Like, I don't know how I lucked out that hard, but um, life is good for me. I'm, I'm doing well. I, I hope you're doing well. I'm thinking about you guys a lot. Thank you for listening. If you're reached with part of the podcast, you must be a diehard fan. So I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Enjoy football this weekend, and uh, I'll see you next week. Bum bum bam. We are done.